perhaps one of the most famous, if not the most famous psalm in the entire book. Or, or maybe you have a lot of a kind of interaction with the book of Psalms. Uh, and, and even so, maybe there are some psalms or maybe there are many psalms that, that are possibly even confusing or maybe you find difficult to kind of comprehend or, any, or even understand. And I want to say that that's not abnormal. Uh, the book of Psalms is an incredibly beautiful book. And it's an incredibly long book. And in fact, 150 psalms are in this And the thing about it is, is that as we go through this series, is that even at the end of this year, we will only get through about a third of it, maybe a third of it. That's it. But the book of Psalms can be a bit kind of uh, difficult to kind of comprehend. After all, it is Hebrew poetry and Hebrew music. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not a poet. I don't dabble in poetry much. I don't understand poetry very well. Um, We've had some great poets in our day and still do today. I I just sometimes don't get poetry even in our language, let alone in the Hebrew language, right? And and, in songs, it's really kind of hard to even interpret what all the time, what is it that the artist is trying to communicate? I was just thinking about that song, Alleluia. Um, Maybe all of you have heard of this song, Alleluia. Hallelujah. How many of you heard of that song? Good, I can stop singing. Um, The author of that song, there are 80 verses to that song. 80. He never stopped writing. He never felt as though that that song was complete. And so therefore, there's interpretations as to what that song is. Is it an argument between Um, the artist and God, or is it kind of this beautiful, majestic coming together of things that God brings together? Who knows? And in fact, some of the verses of that song are probably, we would look at and go, boy, that, that really is weird, or really, that's really, really off, or whatever. And so, obviously, certain groups, including us as Christians, we've taken certain verses of that song and said, that verse works, that verse works, that verse works, and we piece it together. Uh, It can be incredibly confusing in some ways, when we come to the book of Psalms, because Psalms is written in Hebrew. It is a Semitic language, a language that is very different from our language. And not only that, it is a lot in there. This is a book we can't ignore. So that's one big reason why we're going to look at the book of Psalms for not only today, but for the remainder of much of 2023. It's because It's in the Bible. And therefore, if it's in the Bible, it's worth looking at. It's worth studying. Now, here's the thing about the book of Psalms. Is that the book of Psalms is divided into five specific sections. Five specific sections. Or what you might call five mini books. And therefore, it in many ways mimics the first five books of the Bible in which are known as the Torah which is the Hebrew word for teaching. And in fact, the book of Psalms is in many ways considered a second Torah, a second teaching. And so therefore, it is actually structured in many ways for us to begin to actually study what this book is saying. What is it all about? What is it teaching? Okay? So that's one reason why we're going to look at this book. Here's another reason why, and in fact, for me at least, it's the bigger reason. 
It's because the book of Psalms is in many ways a guide for our relationship with God. If you've ever spent any time, any time in the book of Psalms, you know that it is in some ways there's all sorts of Psalms that are great praising God and then there are other Psalms that are just like, God, why are you doing this to me? There are the ups and downs of relationships. There, there's, there's, it, it, it runs the gamut. In fact, the book of Psalms has been called the prayer book of the Bible. If we want to know how to pray, we should go to the book of Psalms. We want to know what prayer looks like. We should go to the book of Psalms. And here's the interesting thing about prayer is that out of everything that all of creation can do, whether it is the trees, whether it is the sky, the oceans, the fish, the birds, the animals, all that kind of stuff, there's a lot of things that we have in common with God's creation. And yet there are many things we do not because we are created in God's image and we have dominion that he has given us over this planet. But there is one other thing that we as his people can do that no one or nothing else in creation could do, and that is we can pray. If there's one thing that we can do that no other creature on this planet can do is we can pray. And so the book of Psalms can be a really fascinating, phenomenal guide to help us look at what it means for us to pray, what it means for us to pray. John Calvin, in his preface to his commentary in the book of Psalms, writes the following. I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an, an anatomy of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. It is incredibly emotional. Know this. The book of Psalms is incredibly emotional. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not necessarily an emotional guy, right? I'm German. We hide our emotions. By the way, anyone who says, typically anyone who says that they're not emotional, chances are they're very emotional. I'm just emotional on the inside, right? It's kind of like raising hands in worship, right? I raise my hands on the inside, right? <laughs> kind of thing. I'm German. But here's the thing about what Psalms is all about, and I love this, is it doesn't hide the emotional aspects that are so crucial in relationships. And let me just share with those of you here this morning who might be German-ish like me, or, or might be kind of saying, well, I'm not an emotional person, versus those of you who might be more emotional, or maybe just say, might be more in touch with your emotions, okay? Um, let me just say this to those who might not be as emotional. Guess what? Emotion is incredibly important. Emotions are God-given. Emotions are those things that well up and give us unbelievable, uh, either great, wonderful relationships, or can actually kind of really put a lot of strain on relations. Emotions are God-given, and they are a beautiful thing. Hear me on this. And the book of Psalms reflects the gamut of emotions. Now, John Calvin goes on and writes the following. The other parts of Scripture contain the commandment which God enjoined his servants to announce to us. I love those books. This is what God tells you I can do and what I can't do. I love the boundaries. I love the clarity of it. Emotions are not clear, right? Emotions do not fit well in any sort of boundary. But John Calvin goes on and he says this. 
But here, the prophets themselves, seeing they are exhibited to us, speaking to God and laying open all their inmost thoughts and affections, call or rather draw each of us to the examination of himself, in particular, in order that none of the many infirmities to which we are subject and of the many vices with which we abound may remain concealed. Let me just paraphrase what I think John Calvin is saying here. We got a lot of issues as human beings. We got a lot of sin as human beings. We got a lot of stuff we need to work on. And the book of Psalms doesn't call us to hide those things, but rather bring them to the surface. Admit them. Bring them there. It's a part of what it means to be in a relationship with God. Billy Graham, I think, frames the purpose of Psalms beautifully when he says this i used to read five psalms every day that teaches me how to get along with god and then i read a chapter of proverbs every day that teaches me how to get along with my fellow man i love that psalms is the first commandment to love god proverbs is the second one to love each other i love that if we want to know how it is to love god man we got to read psalms We've got to look at the book of Psalms for us to understand, if any way, what it is to look like to be in a relationship with God himself. And so here's the thing. As we go through this book, and we did a little bit of this this morning, is we are going to look at the Psalms that we're going to be studying, and we are also going to work those into a responsive reading, just like we did today. Because guess what, church? I don't think it's appropriate if these are prayers. I don't think if it's appropriate if these are also um, songs for us to, as a community not to engage in some way either singing them or praying them right my german side just wants to come at it rather fair you know kind of just you know let's just do this in this way and be very very you know clear about um you know formulaic if you will you know this is how this works this is how this works this is how this works psalms are messy because it reflects our relationship with god and guess what that relationship can be messy that relationship can be messy. Perhaps the key verse, and there is debate on this, in the entire book of Psalms, is Psalm 95, verses 1 through 2. And it says this, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout out loud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. That's the invitation I want to extend to all of us today as we start in this beautiful, messy book. It's for us to come and sing for joy, to let us shout out loud, to come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And there's another hope that I have this morning as we begin this. And that is this, whatever idealized picture we have of what it means for us to be in a relationship with God, and, and perhaps if you're like me, you may have an idealized picture. I, I think in many ways, I think many of us, if not all of us, in some ways have an idealized picture of what it means to be in a relationship with someone else as a husband and wife, to be in a relationship as a mother or a father, to be in a relationship as a child to a mother or a father, to be in a relationship with someone that we call a friend. And whatever that idealized picture we have, chances are it doesn't always work out that way, does it? 
chances are that picture changes. Chances are that picture begins to look very different as we live more into those relationships. Perhaps that is the same way that we've approached our relationship with God, that we have some idealized perspective of what our relationship with God ought to be like. And by the way, there's probably no shortage of the reason why we have that idealized picture is because of something that someone said from somewhere like here from a pulpit that said, if you're in a relationship with God, this is how it should look. And chances are, it probably was an idealized picture of that you should, it'll be wonderful, it'll be perfect, it'll be nothing. If you have a relationship with God, all your problems are going to be fixed by today. Come and know the Lord Jesus for he is good. Amen? Amen. Who wouldn't want to buy what that is selling? right? I mean, that is the idealized, oh, and if there's something that goes south in your relation with God, it's your fault. You didn't have enough faith. You didn't spend enough time in your Bible. You didn't go to church. I love that last one, right? The self-serving. You didn't go to church. No wonder, right? All of those things, and, and, and not to say that those aren't valid things, okay? But we need to be very careful when we look at the fact of the matter is that when it comes to relationships, relationships are messy for a variety of reasons, and it is also messy in our relationship with God himself. If you have been a follower of Jesus for any time, perhaps this is not surprising to you, that as a follower of Jesus, that you have found that things maybe didn't always get better after you got into a relationship with Jesus, but maybe in some ways things maybe even got a little bit worse Things got a little bit tougher. Things began to get a little bit kind of messier, if you will. And I want to just share with you today, if you are here today and you have been told or if you have an idealized picture that this is what it means for me to be in a relationship with God and that picture hasn't bore itself out, that hasn't been your reality and you think there is something wrong with you, I want to share with you today there is nothing wrong with you. You are not crazy. Hear me, church. You are normal. You are normal. And dare I say, don't trust me, trust the authors of the Psalms here. And by the way, there are many authors of the Psalms. David, King David, gets the most credit. He wrote about 73 of them. 73, which is barely over a third. Okay? He wrote 73 Psalms. Did David have a perfect relationship with God? No, he did not. He sinned. There was all sorts of stuff that happened, all these dynamics that, that took place. But here's the interesting thing. Is it's, it, it wasn't even, you know, it was messy, not even because of necessarily because of what David did. It was messy just because it's messy. Think about this. When David was anointed to be king of Israel, when Saul finally died, was David automatically installed? Nope. Only two clans went with him. Judah and Benjamin. The other 10 said, you're not our king. <clears throat> he had to spend seven years uniting the kingdom. He was anointed by God. And it was still messy. He did nothing wrong there. It was just a sinful, broken people he had to deal with. Let me just say, you are not crazy. If your relationship with God is messy, you are normal. My hope is, as we go through the book of Psalms, that will be reaffirmed to you over and over and over and over again. Because it reflects the absolute rawness of what it means to be in a relationship with God. 
And I hope that as we go through this series, we'll see that. And not only that, the flow of Psalms also gives that as well. Not only did King David write Psalms, Moses wrote a Psalm that's in here. King Solomon wrote a Psalm that was in here. The sons of Korah who served in the temple wrote Psalms in here. And by the way, about 50 of them, a third of them are anonymous. We don't know who wrote them, but they're good. They're really good. And so as we ex travel and explore through this book of Psalms, I want us to realize that we're going to get into a lot of messiness. The first part of Psalms, it starts out, which is beautiful, it starts out with lament, and by the time we get to near the end of the Psalms, it's all praise, or largely praise. That's the flow of Psalms. It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Let me ask you this. Have you ever pounded your fist metaphorically on God's chest and said, why? Have you ever felt that you could be real with God and say to him, God, why me? Why this? Why now? And has it seemed as though God never answered in that moment? Has it seemed as though, God, where are you in this? How long, if you've ever experienced those kinds of emotions, you are in good company with people like King David and Solomon? and Moses, and so many other leaders of the faith. So that is my hope. And as we do this, starting today, as we dive into this first psalm, which is going to be a praise psalm, because why not? This is a good psalm. I will try to hopefully, through this time, as well as going forward, as well as Pastor Weezy and Pastor Eric, give some understanding to this psalm and to the psalms that we will study without hopefully ruining the beauty of it because it is poetry. Hear me. It is poetry. And I am German, and I will ruin this. <laughs> I will ruin this, because I will look at it didactically. I will look at it like, well, what is it teaching me? What is it, what is it saying to me? What is it looking at it so logically? And I've got to do something that I don't want to do, church. You know what that is? I've got to get emotional. I've got to get emotional about this. These aren't just words on a page. These are emotions being expressed. These are emotions that are so bubbling up that whoever the author is couldn't resist and had to come and say, I've got to write this down. I've got to make a song, right? How many artists have made a living looking at the emotions of their life and the events of their life? They have made millions, right? I mean, I, I think Taylor Swift should continue to break up with guys because she just puts out a new album every time that happens. It's another fodder for her to write a song or to write an album, right? I think, you know, people who continue to lose their stuff, they write country music. Because <laughs> that's all they have to do. And they just can't help it, right? It's, it, I, I joke, but there is some legitimacy to this. There is some legitimacy to the fact that what happens in our lives, the emotions that we feel, they have to be expressed in some way. And I love the fact that these authors decided to express it in poetry and song and that we get to have the opportunity today to study it. So with that in mind, let's look at Psalm 29. That's the longest introduction you will have ever heard <laughs> to a book. But I think it was needed, all right? I think it was needed. Oh, forgot to mention one more thing. 
I want to invite you all. We have these out in the Welcome Center, and it's a psalm reading plan. As we work our way through the psalms this year, I want to invite you to pick up one of these. We also have it on our website. We'll have the videos. We even have an intro video to psalm on our, on our website as well. We'll post those on our Facebook page and as well, but this is great. Um, you, can, you can do whatever it is you want with this. You do not have to follow this. For those of you who love to paint outside the circles, Pastor Wheezy, um, <laughs> who just has to be different, you know, who doesn't want to be kept in the boundaries there, um, you, can, you, can, you can go ahead and do whatever you want with this. This is designed, by the way, to get you through the book of Psalms in 90 days. There is a morning and evening reading. If you do this, you will get through the book of Psalms in 90 days. If you choose to say, you know what, I don't want to do two readings a day, I just want to do one, it'll take you 180 days. After that, repeat it. And in a year, you will read through the Psalms twice. Does that make sense? We just really want to encourage you all to really dive into the book of Psalms as we make our way through it, okay? That's what we want to help you do today. Again, these are out in the Welcome Center area. We'll, we also have uh, copies on our website. Um, and we'll make those available also on our Facebook page, as well as the videos that correspond there as well. So, all right, are you ready? Psalm 29. Let's go. Let's do this. All right, here it is. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Whether the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now, what is beautiful about this, now I'll have to say this looking at so many different Bible versions, and I really was studying Bible versions this week to figure out what is the best version for us to explore the Psalms in, and I couldn't bring myself to do it because perhaps, and even no, no English version is perfect, but um, perhaps one of the better versions is the King James Version. Oh. Um, yeah, it, it is a beautiful, today's reading, by the way, was out of the New King James that we did, the responsive reading, was the New King James Version. Um, it, it does in some ways capture some of the essence, but not quite totally, of kind of the spirit, in my, in my opinion, of what the Psalms are saying in such beautiful language that is oftentimes lost on us today. So I encourage you, if you want to read the book of Psalms, and if you want to be daring, read it from the King James Version. I am not that daring. So, but did you notice in the first two verses here, Ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord. Three times, and all of a sudden you get a little sense of Hebrew poetry and how it works. One mark of Hebrew poetry is repetition. It repeats, repeats, repeats. And right here in the first two verses, we have ascribe to the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. Ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord. And that word ascribe is literally a Hebrew word that means to give. It means to actually give what is due someone. It is, it is that kind of this idea of to acknowledge who that person is or who this God is. That ascribing to the Lord, ascribing to the Lord. And what David is saying here, and it's a Psalm of David, is that he's saying, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. In other words, it either might say sons of God or, or heavenly beings. That, may, that mainly means the angels. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. In other words, it starts out with an action. Do this. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. 
All that is due to him. And by the way, that, that give him glory, that word glory there is literally meaning kind of the honor and majesty. And not only that, this great physical presence that's there. Kind of almost imposing. Acknowledge him. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. And in the word, the phrase there, the Lord, is the word Yahweh. Now, let me just say a little something about that word Yahweh, because we are most likely mispronouncing that word. Uh, Hebrew scribes and rabbis believed that no person should ever be able to pronounce God's real name. And so what they did in the Hebrew is they took out the vowels. They took out the vowels. They said, it's just, this is it. That's all you're going to get. So that we could not actually pronounce God's real name. Yahweh, we are probably murdering his name. And it was for our protection that the scribes did this. They believed that we do, should never, ever take God's name in vain. And so therefore, we need to make sure that we do not know how to pronounce his real name. And so to this day, we do not actually know how to pronounce God's real name. So we substitute it. The Lord, that's okay. That's okay. Have a definite article. It's a very, very English. Got to have a definite article. There's one. The Lord. I like that. However, I prefer, in many ways, substituted here, is the word Adonai. It's the word Adonai. I think for me that is a better word. In other words, a formal name for God. Adonai. So that's essentially what David, David is using God's real name and he is telling them, telling the angels to glorify him, to worship him, to give to him and to acknowledge him what is due to him. Now here's the question. Why does David say this? Why does David say this? Well, he goes on and explains here in verse 3 and following the reason why. Because the voice of the Lord is over the waters, and the voice of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory! What did you notice was repeating in that phrase there? The voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. In other words, David is saying, ascribe to him all that is due. Why should we do that? Because look at what God is speaking. Look at what he is saying. And here's the thing, is that as David is writing this, I cannot help to think that he is witnessing at this moment an incredibly powerful lightning storm that is taking place. And he is terrified and awed and all of those things, emotions, all at the same time. It's welling up in him. Oh, my word. Look how frighteningly beautiful this lightning storm is. And not only that, it covers the entire breadth of Israel. That's the Lebanon to Kadesh, all of those places that are listed here. That is the entire breadth of Israel itself. How awesome and frighteningly terrifying is this storm, and God is speaking through it. This is awesome. This is unbelievable. This is great. Let me ask you a question. 
Have you ever felt that way in the middle of a storm? Have you ever sensed, and I'm saying felt intentionally here. I want to talk about emotions here. Have you ever been in a storm, a lightning storm or any kind of other storm that terrified you? That made you afraid? Have you ever been in a storm that you just thought, I don't know if we're going to make it through this? Wow, is this crazy. Holy man, is this wild. Unbelievable. I am frightened. And if you are, you know, you have a family here, you got to kind of, and if you're the parent, you got to kind of put on a game face, right? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I grew up in Wisconsin. I don't know if you've ever any experience in the Midwest, but in the West, we have things called basements. And basements are a wonderful thing. Basements are a beautiful thing. Basements, there's extra storage in basements that you don't have to put your stuff in the garage, which that's where cars belong. Right? And so we had basements. And there was a reason why we had basements is because we could have tornadoes. And there would be awesome, frightening storms that would occasionally happen. And I remember one time, Maggie, my oldest daughter, she was probably two. Our youngest daughter was just born. She was maybe a month or two old. And sure enough, we got the, the, air, the air sirens, which those of you who have lived in the Midwest, you know what they are. They, they repurposed bomb sirens, essentially alerting us if there was going to be a nuclear attack. They repurposed those sirens to warn us of an incoming tornado. And they test those sirens every week. Every week they test those sirens. You hear them go off. Air raid sirens. That's, what, that's a tornado drill kind of thing. We did tornado drills in my elementary school. We had to do tornado drills. You go out in the hallway and you put your head between your knees and your, head's over your, and your hands over your head. And that's what we did. We practiced this stuff. And I remember we had this storm come in and we had to wake up Maggie and we had to grab Ellie and we had to go down into the basement and just wait out this horrific storm and it was horrific it was scary and you don't know where this tornado is all you know is that there's a tornado warning and my wife and I had to sit there holding our daughters this is terrifying this what happens if it blows down the house and we're in the basement everything up there falls on us down here kind of stuff terrifying storms have you ever been outside when one of these storms hits it's terrifying. It's, it's unbelievable. The amount of noise that's created by thunderstorms and the, the, the ones that get me are the ones that seem like the thunder, just the lightning struck right next door and all of a sudden it's just this big bomb goes off of sound and everything shakes. It's powerful. Have you ever got emotional in a storm? Gosh, I hope so. That's normal. David got emotional in a storm here, and he wrote about it. And he said, man, is God speaking today? Is he speaking now? And not only that, his word goes out from all the ends of Israel, and if not beyond that as well. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but perhaps God speaks in the midst of storms. Let me be more direct. Perhaps God even speaks through the storms. And there are examples of people's lives being changed as a result of going through storms. Martin Luther, who would eventually lead the Reformation and found the Lutheran church, he was planning on being a lawyer. He was planning on being a lawyer, but one night he was traveling from one town in Germany to another town, and during that night he came across, there, there was an incredibly violent thunderstorm. Incredibly violent. And during that time he said, God, if you get me through this, I will become a priest and a monk. 
And he did. Jonah, we all know about Jonah, right? Was tossed in a violent thunderstorm, a, a violent storm at sea, right? In fact, it was at his own direction that he gets tossed overboard. Even the men of that ship didn't want to do it, but they said, okay, we got to do it. And yet, after that, what does Jonah do after he is finally through that storm? He goes and does what God told him to do in the first place. Go to Nineveh. The disciples were in a boat. Fishermen experienced that, this sort of thing. And they were caught in a violent storm. And they were taken on water. And they didn't think they were going to be able to make it. And then all of a sudden they look out and there comes Jesus walking on the water. Sure. Why not? And they were even more frightened when they saw him. And then Peter, out of all of them, says, oh, this is awesome. Jesus is walking on water. Call me out, Jesus, I'll go. Come on out, Peter. The water's great. Right? And he goes out. And you remember the story is that Peter begins to sink. And Jesus grabs him and says, oh, Peter, you have little faith. You have little faith. It's interesting. What faith did he have that was so little? Was it in Jesus? Perhaps, but maybe more so, it was in himself to actually do what Jesus can do. And he brings them back. And the disciples now are like, whoa, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. People's lives can be changed as a result of storms, whether absolutely, literally, or even metaphorically, people change. But here's the thing is do we recognize that God may be speaking in the midst of all of that stuff and the things that happen? I think that as when God speaks, we are more impressed about what happens, right? When God speaks, things are created. When God speaks, things begin, you know, healings take place. When God speaks, all sorts of great stuff or even terrifying stuff take place. But that's not why this, I think, psalm is so powerful and why david says ascribe you angels to the lord all that is due to him it isn't because of what god speaks that happens that is powerful it's because of the fact that god speaks and he reveals more of himself that's what's powerful that's what's powerful the parallel passage to this psalm in the new testament by theologians who have forgotten more than I will probably ever know about theology. The parallel passage is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be John 1. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, and then going on and creating everything by God's Word, which is great. He speaks, things get created. No, the parallel passage of Psalm 29 is Matthew 3, 13 through 17. That is Jesus' baptism. That's the parallel passage. If you remember, and let me just share with you just two verses out of that baptism passage here. It says this, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Nothing happened necessarily. And yet in that moment of God speaking, Jesus is revealed for who he really is. When God speaks, 
let us not become so enamored as to what happens, but when God speaks, let us become more enamored of what he is sharing, more of who he is. And that's why David was so, couldn't, I mean, oh my word, God, you are powerful. Oh my word, God, you are awesome. Oh my word, God, you are the creator of all. Oh my word, I, I've got to write this. He, he understood, yeah, 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 lightning's awesome. Yeah, yeah, wind is great. All that, no, no, but God, you are even better than that. You are awesome. You are powerful. You are the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Period. End. End. Here's another parallel passage. Acts 10. When Peter went to visit a Gentile by the name of Cornelius. And before he got there, he was on the roof, if you remember this story, and he was waiting for lunch to get served because he didn't do that sort of thing. So he went and took a nap or fell into a trance. And in that trance, if you remember, there was this sheet, and out of the sheet came all of these animals, both clean and unclean, pigs and shellfish and all this kind of stuff, stuff that Jewish people never would have eaten. Because Peter was hungry, he had a dream about eating. But God used that as a way to say, hey, guess what, Peter? Get up and eat. And Peter said, oh, no, 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 Lord. Um, I can't eat all that because that's, that's forbidden food. And God says to him, hey, what I have said is good and what I have de deemed clean is clean. Guess what? That wasn't about food. It was all about the fact that, Peter, you're going to go to the Gentiles, and by the way, I've declared them clean. They are worthy of the kingdom. A knock on the door, it's Cornelius' servants. Hey, we were told to come to you. Would you come with us? Absolutely, I'll come with you. And even he says as he comes to Cornelius' house, you know, as a Jew, I'm not allowed to go into a Gentile's house, and yet here I am standing. In other words, Peter was enamored more about who God was revealing more of who he is, that he is the God of all, both Jew and Gentile. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Often, and this is what I think we need to understand, God reveals who he is through his creation, through his beautiful, creative nature that he has given us. As one person, I think, aptly observed, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune in. I wonder how many of us have desired, I know I have been, God, will you please speak to me? I don't know about you, but the picture I have of what it should look like for God to speak to me is Moses at the burning bush. Right? I mean, Moses was attracted to the burning bush, right? Because the bush was on fire and wasn't burning. Hmm, I'd be attracted to that too. He gets closer, and the voice of God says, don't come any closer, take your sandals off, because the ground you're on is holy. I can't help but think that Moses traded that burning bush and the aspect of the kind of being enamored with that whole thing for the fact of when God spoke, he revealed more of who he is. God says, I am the Lord God. I have heard the cry of my people. And I'm going to send you to bring them out of slavery. I wonder how many of us have desired to have that kind of voice speak to us. Wouldn't that be awesome? God, if you would just come down and tell me verbally what it is I should do, ah. I'll do it. 
and then I say, oh yeah, we have the Bible. How good are we at that? That's written on a page. Pages. Plural. We got a book. We still don't do that well. I'm not too sure an audible voice is going to do much better. But here's the thing I want us to know. Is that God, I believe, speaks all the time. Just not in ways that we expect. Just not in ways that maybe we think he ought to speak to us. And so therefore, we may run the risk of not hearing him at all. When God speaks in a storm, we sometimes think and dismiss it as, well, we may not even think about it at all, that it's God. When God, when we see a beautiful sunrise over the mountains, we may not even think of the fact that God is speaking. We may just think, oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. When we see animals doing what animals do, we may not even be thinking about God and just saying, God, what is it that you're speaking today? Saw a video this past week of a coyote. Did you see this video? Sitting on top of a car in a neighborhood, waiting to go off to work, apparently. My Uber is here, but not the driver. Nature doing nature stuff. When we see cacti blooming, God, what, it is, what is it that you're speaking what is it that you want to share with me right now? God speaks all the time. The question for us is, are we listening? Are we listening? Or are we letting our preconceived notions and ideas of how this should look get in the way? God speaks through other people. He does. We may not even know it. God may be speaking through you at some point today or even this week, and you may not even know it. God bless you. You don't have to. It's not about you. A person comes away going, wow. Don't you think I just experienced the greater presence of Jesus? Got to know him a little bit more. It's a beautiful thing. My challenge and my hope for us as we end our time here this morning is that we would know this, God is always speaking. I hope that we'll be in a position to listen. And when we do, that we would ascribe to the Lord what is due to him. All glory, honor, majesty, and worship. Amen? Pray with me, please. Father, I admit that I have at times expected and have thought that there are only certain ways that you speak and you speak only in certain times and certain situations. But Jesus, in my interaction with this beautiful psalm this morning, Psalm 29, I now realize that perhaps you are speaking all the time. And I have simply not listened. I have simply not been aware. I have simply in that moment not only have not heard, but have not ascribed to you the things that are due to you, Jesus. I pray this morning, please, please help me to hear more of you. 
Help me to hear more of what you are saying. Reveal more of who you are to me. And may my heart be changed evermore. I pray this, Jesus, not only for myself, but for every single person here this morning, Jesus. May this be our prayer as well. In your name we pray, Jesus, and all of God's people said, Amen.